0: Hey, this is Brenna Blaine, and you're listening to Can I Say That?
1: Hey, everyone. This week on the show, we're talking about mental health. Um, And we're actually going to cover this topic in a number of episodes, but this week specifically we're talking about anxiety disorders. So I want to pause before we go any further and kind of address the question that everyone probably has at least once in their walk, um, if not many times, which is, is anxiety a sin? The New Testament specifically talks about anxiety a number of times, probably the most Common would be in Philippians chapter four, verse six, where it says, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to him and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Uh, which also makes me think of Romans, I believe it is chapter five, where it says, set your minds on the things of the spirit. Um, And Paul actually harps on that for about eight or nine verses. And within there, there's this verse that says, the mindset on the things of the flesh is death, but the mindset on the things of the spirit is life and peace. Mm. Um, And so I think there's what Paul is specifically talking about in these two places is kind of more of a superficial anxiety. Um, It's like anxiety about things like um, making ends meet or... Mm. Uh, worrying about not having enough money to pay rent or maybe not getting the school we want to get into or uh, a dispute with your significant other. Things that matter, and I don't think we're supposed to pretend are unimportant or that God doesn't care about those things, they're almost issues of lack of faith. And by faith, I really mean what that word actually translates to English more closely to, which is trust. Mm. It's this kind of lack of trust that God actually has control and actually cares about what's going on in our lives Hmm. um, and will provide uh, what we need um, and be there with us. Hmm.
0: And what's interesting to me in those verses is that, well, in both of them, actually, there's a call to action. And I think a lot of times as Christians, because I think even in the midst of having a mental illness... Sometimes, like, I get people who'd send me verses when I was going through a hard time or even growing up. um, My mom would always say, you know, Philippians 4, 6 to me, and I would get upset because I'm like, you don't understand. Um, (laughs) But being older and walking through, I guess, a lot, I look at the call to action in in those verses, and I I have to ask myself, am I actually going to do that? Because I think a lot of times we're like, we like to talk about our anxiety or our worries, but we don't like to pray about it. And that's such a, like, cheesy Christian thing where it's like, do you pray about it as much as you talk about it? But really, I mean, like, as a parent, um, there's so many things that I get anxious about for Rudy. And just, you know, like, is he going to fall and break his arm? Is he going to bump his head really hard? Are we going to have to take him to the hospital and in those moments? If I apply what that call to action is in those verses, it actually looks... Like me sitting down and having a conversation with God and saying, I know you love Rudy more than I do. Would you keep him safe? And then it's, it's kind of like this, this letting go of these worries to God who
1: does care about these things. Yeah, and in the same vein, I think there's not all worry is innately bad. Like I think of talking about Rudy, for example, if I saw Rudy playing like literally inches from the edge of a cliff. And I was like, ah, whatever, God's got it. Mm. It would be actually neglectful of me because I think God has put a biologically, like in a natural sense, he has put a survival instinct in Mm. myself and a protective instinct in me that when I see something that's unsafe, there's something uncomfortable in me Mm. that I pushed to take action to make a situation safe and to change a situation, which even in that sense, is similar to, I think, what you're talking about in Philippians and in Romans, how you pointed out that there's a call to action. Like, you see something wrong, and then you take a step mm. to change that situation. Yeah. But Brenna, as someone with a mental illness yourself, what is something you wish people had more insight on?
0: I think everyone who is diagnosed with a mental illness goes through... Like a mourning period or a grieving period for their health that they assumed they had previously. And I remember for us, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, was it three months after we got married? If even. Yeah. And I, for me, I had this tremendous amount of guilt that I was not diagnosed before we got married because I wanted you to have the choice in in the knowledge in saying yes to spending your life with someone who was mentally ill. And so I think that was really, really hard for me in the sense of wrestling with that alone. And so I think I think one when you find out a loved one is is being diagnosed with a mental illness, it's really important to ask them, hey, what are some worries, um, which is funny because we're talking about worries, but what are some worries or concerns you have surrounding this and, and the people around you? And and I think as Christians, my worry was, I want to say it, it made sense, but it wasn't correct in the terms of that. When we got married, we understood. Um, in sickness and in health actually means something. We ended up talking about it, but just that you know, I I was still the same person that you chose, just with a new challenge in my life. And so I don't I don't even want to say being gentle, but just a- allowing space for that person in your life to be vulnerable and and to and to um, display their worries, so that you can talk through them and, and
1: put those. I guess, lies to rest. Yeah, it's interesting that I can't think of a time where Jesus interacts with someone who is hurting or in otherwise in a bad place where he quotes scripture at them, telling them why they should feel better, mm. or, but that he always shows grace and compassion and meets them where they're at.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited for you guys to hear Ali Gadbaugh talk about her experience living with anxiety disorder and what it has looked like for her to pursue a relationship with God and God in turn pursuing her throughout this, this battle. So why don't you join us now for that? So last time we were together, I was going to say it was at Bethel, but we were together last night yes. to record this podcast Yes. and the whole thing got deleted. Thank you, Rudy. Yeah. And he didn't so, like that version, you know, so we're going like, to
2: do it better today.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> practically the last time we were together, it was at Bethel's Women's Conference. Yes. And we drove up to get in line, and it was like a sea of flower crowns, lattes, and dresses. And <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um, I wore my school shirt and mm-hmm. my cut off shorts. You for did the first not stick night. out like a sore thumb. Not at all. I walked in and someone was like, "Are you from Portland?" And I was like, oh, "Portland area." Weird. How oh, yeah, How do you think they know? could tell? <laughs> he's like, "She smells bad." <laughs> <laughs> Keep Portland weird. I yeah. said that right when we walked
2: in. No. I was really excited for that trip because I knew something was going to be pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. Um We got invited or... Yeah, we both got invited by Emily. I knew there was a reason we were supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make it very clear that... You can have encounters with God outside of Bethel Church. That's not the um, end-all, be-all. And I think a lot of people think of Bethel as like... The Mecca of, Mm. you know...
0: Or they think of it as like...
2: Hell on wheels. Right. Or that. (laughs) And I would just encourage anyone who is skeptical about Bethel to just go and visit
1: Mm. and
2: see what it's about and not for the experience but to actually just see what their theology is and what the people are like Mm. and how they act and how they glorify the Lord with what they do because I don't know about you but it seemed pretty Jesus themed to me so
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, I had my heresy goggles on mm -hmm. because, I mean... Well, (laughs) yes, it's you. (laughs) And uh, I I don't even think pleasantly surprised is the right word. I was super stoked, and I think there were even some some of the speakers who were not from Bethel definitely spoke out against some things that Bethel was maybe rumored for. Right. And I loved that. Yep. That they allowed a speaker to be on their stage and still champion them and love them. Yep. And she said, Hey, this is where we're different and yeah. you need to get correct theology. But guess what? We all love the Lord. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. There was never one session, I
2: mean, truth be told in full transparency. I haven't had good luck with, I haven't had good experiences with women's events and conferences in the past. They just historically have not held a lot of depth for me or mm. been challenging for me. I, I wasn't necessarily skeptical going down to Bethel, but I was on high alert for the sappy feel-good yeah. women stuff. <laughs> and there was only a few times that I was just like, Meh, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise it was, um, it was pretty life changing for Mm. me.
0: I think one of my favorite things about you is that you did not grow up in a, in a Christian home Mm -hmm. and you weren't raised as a Christian. And I love seeing that because it just gives you a totally different experience and and filter as of to how you view God. And can you just share with us a little bit about how you were raised and then how you did become a Christian and, and what that process was like for you?
2: Yeah. So I, um, am super close with my family. I was raised in a very loving family, two loving parents. Um, I'm one of four kids and my mom would take us to Sunday school. Um, my aunt and uncle and my cousins all went to a church in Southeast Portland. We would go to Sunday school. So I had a light foundation of Jesus and God and, um, but it, From the time I was little, it just seemed like a lot of rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seemed like you could always... That God was mean and you could always um, mess up and you were going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly as a child, I didn't have a great understanding of it. But my best friend growing up, um, her name is Laura. She and her family were pretty devout Christians. She grew up going to a church called Grace Community Church. I would go to retreats and stuff with her. Um, when we were kids. And I remember this one in the Primeville Reservoir. I was in like middle school or something. And it was a really emotional experience by the fire. You know, Mm. you get the camp high. yeah. And um, then I would come back and be back to my old life. Mm. And I never really, I never really devoted my life to the Lord. I was in a, I was in a pretty uh, bad relationship for many years. uh, Pretty codependent, pretty toxic. And there were times where that guy wrestled and sometimes he would talk about going to church and sometimes he would read the Satanic Bible. Mm. And I mean, as somebody who grew up in the church, he really, I just, I think he really wrestled. And so it was really confusing to me. And of course, I just wanted to go along with the conversation because I wanted him, I just wanted him to not think I was questioning him. But I knew that was not right, the Satanic Mm. Bible, obviously. And then I'll never forget... One thing I didn't mention yesterday, I remember I did, I went to see The Passion of the Christ um, Mm. in the theater with my mom, and because she was invited by a group of women, I just remember the scenes where he is being beaten, and where he's carrying his cross, and I was just like sobbing, Mm. just like undone, crazy, and I left the theater, and I was just like beside myself, and I couldn't figure out why, I went to my best friend's house, and I was just like wrecked by it. And so fast forward, I reconnected with my husband in 2010. He one night when we were chatting, he was like, "I know this is going to sound really weird, but I can't be with somebody and if they don't believe in God." Mm. I'm just like, "Oh, well, okay. I'm kind of a rookie, but I can give it a shot." And throughout this whole time, my cousin and I had been talking about we'd had several conversations about faith and uh, she gave me her Bible, and so David and I started going to Door of Hope, mm. and I remember walking in thinking, wow, this does not feel like a church that mm. I have historically been used to. The music's incredible. And then Josh White preached on um, God being omnipresent and omniscient, and I just remember sitting in the congregation unable to take my eyes off of him, not because I was fixated on him, just couldn't get over what he was sang and like it just shook me and I was just like floored. I was completely in awe like I was able to sit through a whole message and not be distracted and the music was just like piercing and so we kept going and every time I'd go I would just cry and David would hold my hand and smile um, and I would get irritated (laughs) because I thought he was laughing at me but he was just smiling because he knew what was happening and then I had asked my cousin if I had to make a public proclamation that I wanted to be a Christian because that made me, the thought of that made me really nervous Mm because I didn't know what I had to do. Yeah. And she's like, no, Allie, you can, it can be as quiet or as private as you want it to be. So at the time I was living with a coworker and I was getting ready for work one morning and listening to this song and I, I just was overwhelmed uh, with emotion and the Holy Spirit and I just dropped to my knees and I said, I need you in my life and mm. I want you in my life. Wow. And then I got back, that was November of 2010 mm-hmm. when I got baptized in October of 2011 in front of my family. My dear mentor, Gary, um, baptized me at Grace Community mm. Church and that's where David and I were going at the time and my whole family was there to watch that which was really cool because they are not believers. Mm -hmm. And so to publicly declare my faith in front of my family was a really cool thing.
0: Wow. Yeah. You're here today to talk to us about anxiety. And there's this, um, I think there's a belief among some believers that would say, um, if you struggle with anxiety, uh, it's an issue of faith. Or there are some people who believe anxiety is a sin. We, we see it say in the Bible, do not be anxious, right? Right. And so my question for you is, when did you realize this isn't me not trusting God? This is actually something that needs to be diagnosed and properly taken care of and pursued as a, a, a health condition. Right. So I have struggled with anxiety and
2: depression from the time I was about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So that's 25 years. I'm 35. So it's nothing new to me. But the, when I became a Christian, it was almost like that was right in the spotlight I had a huge amount of guilt and shame wrapped up in my anxiety and my worry because I was a Christian now. God was supposed to... I'm not—I'm just supposed to trust God and mm. he's going to take care of it. And maybe I'm not praying enough and maybe I don't have enough faith and I'm a bad Christian because I don't... Bo- you know, I'm still worried about this stuff. Mm. I'm still thinking about this. I'm still obsessing about this. And so... I had been diagnosed when I was younger with anxiety, um, but it wasn't until about three months ago that I was actually formally diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, Mm. which is where my anxiety manifests itself from. And so... I think it's really important to make the distinction between a physiological slash psychological disorder and a potential sin route for our worry and anxiety. Because um, if it's a physiological or a chemical disorder, then that's a lot different than, say, us engaging in some kind of sinful behavior that we might not even consciously be aware of, but we need to figure out the root. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the root of what is causing our worry? Mine happens to be a physiological and psychological disorder that has been clinically diagnosed. I used to think I was sinful because I was not, I didn't think I was depending on God enough. I mean, and I would pray my guts out. I would beg, I would plead, take this away from me. What am I doing? What do I need to do? I am... I can't do this anymore. I'm in agony please help me you know I I'll do anything mm-hmm. and it still didn't work so i I just really think it's important to make that distinction between clinical mm-hmm. and potentially sinful roots. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes okay
0: yeah there's a question around I think especially when we get into the clinical Mm -hmm. in in wrestling with, well, how am I supposed to deal with this? There's always a question around, is medication okay Mm. for our minds? And can you tell us how medication has been helpful for you in your walk with this?
2: Yeah. So I did some reading, I mean, prior to this podcast, because I know I have my opinions and people have their opinions and I really just wanted to know what scripture says. Scripture doesn't say anything about medication mm-hmm. per se. But um, I just kind of, I came to the conclusion, Christians are not immune to anxiety disorders and mental illness, mm. just like we're not immune to physical illness. Um, our physical bodies are not immune to cancer or diabetes or whatever else, degenerative diseases, mm. anything like that. So we're our mind is also not immune to mental illness. And so prescribed medication by a clinical in a clinical setting for a psychological illness is not an issue in in my opinion is not an issue of faith. It has helped me immensely to be able to give me the mental capacity because because of my OCD my brain never stops. So obsessive compulsive disorder are is unwanted intrusive thoughts constantly Mm. and then doing things quote-unquote compulsions to try and stop the thoughts which actually makes just makes it worse Mm -hmm. so it's just a vicious cycle and then I got get anxious because I can't make it stop and Mm. I can't make my brain stop and I can't stop worrying and I can't stop thinking everything needs to be perfect and clean and so the medication has helped me immensely be able to give me the capacity in my brain to step back and say, okay, no, wait, wait, this is not rational. This is, this is my OCD talking. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do to, to be able to function, to bring my heart rate down, to be bring my anxiety down, to get on an even, even keel and Mm -hmm. an even playing field. So I can function for my family and myself Mm -hmm. because it, I've gotten to a point um, where I was not functioning. Mm -hmm. So medication has helped me immensely, um, be able to think on an even keel. That being said, I think that I might get in trouble by saying this, uh, but it it can it has the potential to be used as a crutch in some situations and, an, and a band aid in mm. some situations, um, particularly with the class of drugs that are used for mental illness, particularly like Ativan and um, Xanax and mm. all that. They they have the ability to be abused because they do. It's almost like a mild sedative. And it, it truth be told, when I was at a really low point earlier this year and I was taking Ativan, I never abused it. But I, I truly, I was like, sometimes I can see why people become drug addicts mm. to escape mm. the mental agony. Drugs, are they are powerful, but they can also be used to be very helpful in situations to help us function on a day-to-day basis. So... Whether I know there's that that's a that's a mixed bag for a lot of people, mm. but um, I don't want to be on medication for the rest of my life because yeah. that is a band aid for my particular disorder. Mm. That's not where the root is. So it helps me function
0: in the meantime, though. Medication is um, a resource God has given us to be able to function more clearly. Mm. In, in the space that we're supposed to, but it is not a savior. No, not by any means. Mm. I can't stress enough the importance of medication
2: being coupled with therapy and counseling. Um, that is probably even more important. Probably, I, I would say it's more important than medication because different types of therapists are, tra- are trained and skilled in working through different disorders and you have to get to the root of the problem and a proper diagnosis is key Mm. i just feel like if you're on meds but you're not talking to somebody then um you're only attacking the problem halfway
0: So you are uh, a mom, a wife, you have a successful career. You're very functioning in mm-hmm. your anxiety and you're a Christian and you know what the Bible says and you believe it. And yet you find yourself earlier this year thinking, I don't think I can do this anymore. I, suicide is potentially an option. Can you walk us through that?
2: Yeah. So my OCD manifests itself as a phobia That causes me a lot of anxiety, which turns into depression because I can't stop worrying. Um, And early in January, my phobia was triggered, which consequently sent me into a a giant shame spiral. The act itself caused me a lot of worry, but then I think it was the first time my husband had really seen Mm. me have an episode like that because typically I avoid every situation that could trigger that phobia, but I couldn't avoid it this time. I was so embarrassed and I was just like, oh my gosh, my daughter is going to grow up with a neurotic mother Mm -hmm. who is hovering over her all the time and anxious all the time. And I'm never going to be able to let my daughter be independent and she's going to think I'm just crazy. And my husband, he's going to think I'm just a nutcase. Who did he marry? He's probably regretting his decision. I'm such a burden. I can't stop my mind. I can't do this anymore. I'm trying. I've tried everything and I just can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do it anymore. They would be better off without me. Mm -hmm. They would be better off without a anxious mother and a crazy wife Mm -hmm. and... I never got to the point where I actually planned it out and mapped it out in my head. And I don't know if I actually wanted to die. I just wanted to escape. Mm. I wanted the agony in my mind to stop. Mm. I wanted the torment in my brain to go away. And to me, medication didn't help. Counseling didn't help praying didn't help talking to people didn't help nothing helped Mm. nothing was helping and so I was just like I can't do this anymore Mm. I cannot do this anymore and that was in January then in February uh, I was going to my mom's we lived out in the country at the time so we were spending the night at my mom's because I had some meetings at work that I needed to go to and I wanted to make sure I could get there and I went over there on February 3rd and I never went home I had a complete uh, mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom that night, it was a Sunday, Sunday, February 3rd. And my mom said, if you don't call the doctor, I'm gonna call for you. And uh, we, I'm wondering if we need to take you into the hospital. And so I called my women's clinic and God's hand was just all over the situation from the very start. Cause my midwife happened to be the one on call that night. Which was so comforting Mm. because she was, she's like a mother figure, you Mm -hmm. know, you see her too. Yeah. And um, she just jumped into motion to try and get me connected with the right people to Mm -hmm. get back onto the path of. But I took a week off work because I was not functioning. Mm. I was living with my parents, which some people have a hard time wrapping their brain around because they were, they're like, wait, did you and David separate? And I was, no. I just, I couldn't go back to my house Mm -hmm. because we were living in the country and it was so isolating for me out there. Um, It was dark. Most people would love it, but it was just so far away from everyone and everything. And I was already in this mindset and I was just like, I can't go back there. I can't Mm. go back there. I feel trapped. I can't go back there. And it just, you know, so that left me living with my two-year-old daughter at my parents' house uh, for three months while my husband, while we put our property on the market that was um really hard because he had to do all the work to prep it and he had to we had to move away from that property which was like a dream for him so it was a huge sacrifice for David and it was just a really hard time for us as a family and I mean yeah we're on the other side of it now but it was really um a huge blessing because it revealed a lot of things in me and it revealed, it brought to light a lot of things in our marriage that needed some work um, that we just had never addressed. And so my mental collapse was actually a huge blessing, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been a fun year. I, um, In January, the Lord told me to get really comfortable being very uncomfortable mm-hmm. this year, and he's been really true to his <laughs> word. It's been a year of refining for mm-hmm. sure.
0: Yeah. Hearing your experience and not that we're supposed to base our wide beliefs off of one experience, but knowing my experience as well, being mentally ill and, and listening to dear friends and what they've gone through and wrestling with the word and what God says. I, I think it's important that we touch on two things and, and one, especially hearing your story, there's this belief that people who are contemplating suicide or people who commit suicide, that it's a selfish act. Mm. And I see it as the furthest thing from that, especially when you, when you get in and hear the thoughts of.
2: And the utter um, hopelessness that people feel in those moments, because I was in that camp mm. um, before I hit my rock bottom this year. I was like, I would never do that to my family. Mm. I would never do that to my daughter. And I was there. I was one of those people saying it's selfish. And then it was a complete 180 and Mm. I was in the grave. And I'm like, I get it. Mm. There's help and you will get better. There's help and there's hope. I just, I remember reading this in Job. And obviously Job is the ultimate book Mm. for people that, I mean... He lost everything. Yeah. I was reading this the other day and like to be in community, it's so easy to isolate yourself when you're feeling this depressed and mm. this alone because when you just, it's easy to wallow in it mm. and it's easy to sit in it and just stay there because you can't bring yourself to do anything else. But there's something about being in community in chapter two of Job, where his three friends come on the scene after he's lost his wealth, his health, his family, his everything. Verse 12 and 13 says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. To me, that is so huge because... It's like when somebody's grieving or somebody's died in someone's... There's nothing you can say to comfort them. People love to offer scripture with the best of intentions. Mm. And I know it always comes from a place of love. And But when you are in that mental state mm. and when you are that low and it is that dark, there is very little light that can penetrate. And sometimes just the company of somebody weeping with you... And listening can speak volumes and not trying to fix anything, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy that you say that. And it makes me think of the parallel between that verse and then what we see. I mean, Job didn't even get a glimpse of, but he knew what's coming was Jesus. And Mm. in John 11, when we see Jesus and he's with Lazarus's sisters. Yeah. And he knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus. But he cries anyway. But he weeps with them yeah. because he doesn't bypass their feelings. Right. He sits with them in
2: their pain. Mm. And so I just, there were several people who did that with me mm. and didn't try to fix my situation. The importance of that was so heavy. Mm. So... Being in community, you're not alone. You need to, but don't isolate. Mm. Isolation, Satan wants to keep you in the dark. He wants, he will capitalize on every angle he possibly can to destroy you. I mean, look what he did to Job. He took everything away from him. He gave him sores all over his body, Mm. but he still had his mind, Mm. but mine's the opposite. (sighs) So my physical body's fine, but my mind is in bondage. Mm. He wants to keep you there, but Mark 4.22 says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Bring it out. Say your name. Mm. Say what you have. Like, more people have mental illness than you probably think. Mm. And more people suffer with this than you are probably aware of. Mm. They just, there's a shame attachment to it because they think it's crazy yeah and that's not true mm. that's not true it's just not true
0: yeah and I think it's in Revelation where it says um, and he has overcome him with the blood of the lamb and yep. the word of their testimony yeah. talking about us yep which is so insane yeah that God says, I could defeat Satan on my own, but also you telling your story and what I've done for you in your life is going to be a part of that.
2: Well, and, not, and, and that too, in that same vein, I mean, we're not guaranteed. I mean, it's all over scripture that you're, we're not guaranteed a blissful life mm. as a believer. We're going to have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, John 16, 33, but take heart. I have overcome Mm. the world, Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. You might be bloodied. You might be battered. You might be completely, utterly defeated. But are you standing on your two Mm. feet? Yes. You're going to have trouble. It's going to come. But how are you preparing? I mean, there's so many scriptures about being refined as, you know, being refined as silver. As as the impurities rise up to the surface, he skims them off Mm. the top. And then you keep going through the fire and it keeps getting until you're more and more pure. Mm. There's just no other way to do it. Yeah. And what a kind God to discipline us in such a loving way Mm. and still be there through every step because the whole ultimate goal is to glorify Mm. him through what he does through us Mm. does that
0: make sense yeah and i just think of those who are maybe worrying well what if you know what if it isn't what if it is a faith issue just a reminder of paul yeah and paul's faith And how God used Paul and Mm -hmm. how Paul still said, there's a thorn in my side. And we don't know what that is. And a lot of scholars and theologians speculate that it was mental illness. Mm. But I don't think you can look at the life of Paul and say, oh, you know, he didn't have enough faith or else he would have been healed.
2: Right. Well, in John chapter 12, when Jesus is predicting his death, Mm. he straight up says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In the same sentence, he says, "I'm af- my heart is troubled. I'm afraid. I don't know hmm. how I feel about this. Am I supposed to back out? No, this is why I came. So Father, I want you to be glorified. And that truthfully, after being where I've been this year, is so the same mindset that I have because... I'm so thankful that I went through this because I have never, I would, I am confident that I never would have met Jesus and experienced Jesus as a true savior and friend had I not gone through this. Mm. And it has solidified in me the fact that I do not want my identity to be found as a mom, as a wife, as a friend. I don't want my identity to be found in anyone other than Jesus, Mm. ever. There's there's just nothing else. Mm. There's nothing else that's constant and unchanging and unfailing. If you think about
0: it, everything Mm. is not promised Mm. other than him. If you ever get the chance to sit down and to hear about how someone with mental illness experiences and sees and views God, take that opportunity absolutely
2: it's unreal and he might not ever heal me this side of heaven Mm. it might not happen Mm. but that doesn't mean he's not on his throne Mm. and that doesn't mean he's not good and that doesn't mean that i won't get better Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean it 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 won't improve will it fully go away this side of eternity maybe maybe not Mm. but i'm okay with that yeah because I know that He's faithful, and I know that He is good.
0: Before we end, I do want to ask, this whole journey for you, not just the last year, but um, the last 25 years, has been an experience of meeting Jesus and meeting God new ways, time after time after time. What is one clear moment you have had with god in the midst of this that brings you joy remembering
2: well this year has been really the most pivotal in my whole span of being a christian um it's been what 9 years now mm. and this truly has been the most refining year for me um i had put my daughter down for a nap earlier this year before my after I'd been triggered, but before my big mental collapse. And um, I remember going into my room and shutting the door and feeling like I needed to read the word, but I didn't know what to read. My mind wouldn't stop. And I just opened my Bible and it happened. At the time I was reading the Passion Translation a lot and I happened to open to Psalm 18.
0: Mm.
2: And if you ever get a chance to read Psalm 18, it just paints this beautiful picture of God in his throne room and our sobs don't fall on deaf ears. They Mm. go right into his throne room, right into his ears. And then it says his anger was kindled and burned on my behalf. And it just paints this picture of him just coming down like a warrior and waging war on the enemy. Mm. And for me, I was just it wrecked me because I'm just like you're fighting for me. Mm. I have no strength. I have no. I have nothing left. Um, my whole life, I've been known as kind of a no nonsense, sometimes a little in your face. I don't want to say tough girl, but one who doesn't put up with crap. I mm, guess. Yeah. And this whole year has like been so eye opening for me. It's like, is that really who I am? Mm. I have nothing no fight left in me, mm. but you're fighting for me. And it was huge for me to know that he was essentially waging war against my my enemy, mm. which is my mental illness mm. and saying, no, we're going to fight this and I'm going to fight it with you. Mm. It's going to be hard and it is hard and it will continue to be hard. But in James, it says we need to be willing to be brought low, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Um, And I'm so thankful that he did. He just leveled me Hmm. because there was... When you're completely at rock bottom and you have no other place to go but up, you can see the mountain that you have to climb or you can see his face. Wow. And to me, in that moment, it was his face, and he was just reaching his hand. Like, come on, let's go. Get up. Hmm. (laughs) So... And I had a really cool experience in Reading too. The third, the second day was really powerful for me, and it, all of the messages that they spoke about were um, freedom mm-hmm. and breaking, breaking free and breaking chains. And um, a lot of people are in bondage in their mind, um, me included. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just so funny because the last message of Thursday, uh, Rebecca Lyons had been speaking on her panic attacks and her anxiety that she struggled with and she's wrapping up her message and she's like I feel like somebody in this room needs to who struggles with anxiety needs to hear this and she opens her bible and she says psalm 18 says this and I was just lost it Mm -hmm. because it was just been kind of my go-to scripture during this whole year Mm -hmm. there's power in the word for Mm -hmm. sure
0: almost exactly a year before you had your mental breakdown I had mine Mm. and was hospitalized, and uh, you had messaged a dear friend of both of ours, and she smuggled in (laughs) this message written on, um, I believe it was a napkin. I still have it, yeah, a (laughs) napkin. I have it framed in my house, (laughs) but I remember being released from the hospital, and then you asked if I would come over so we could talk about everything that happened, and you I remember you telling me to stick around because you felt that my story was going to pluck people off the edge and I can't help feel overwhelmed hearing your story here today and knowing that the beauty of technology is your story is about to go out Hmm. and it is about to pluck people off the edge. And there are Hmm. some very specific people listening to this right now that have needed to hear every word Mm. you said today. And so I just want to say thank you for showing up and being bold about your mental illness. Some people don't feel comfortable about it. Mm. And I, I think we need to end that stigma, especially if we believe God is who he says he is. And so Thank you for spending time with us today. Yeah. Um, Me and the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. I'm
2: happy to be here. Ain't no grave, people. (laughs) No shame. No grave. Reach out to someone.
0: Hey guys thanks for tuning in if you like what you heard or want to know more about our podcast i want to invite you to follow us on instagram at can i say that that's where you can find what our next topic is going to be who's speaking and a lot more about them we also invite you as an audience member to be a more active part of this conversation by participating in polls answering questions and even sending in comments and messages Fair warning though, some of them can be kind of frustrating, but please don't let that keep you from engaging, learning, and pressing in. After all, that is what the show is about, asking Christians hard questions. So please come and join us.